Welcome back to the Rob Skinner Podcast. My goal is to inspire you to live a no regrets life, make this life count, and multiply disciples, leaders, and churches. Today I have on the program Dinesh and Caroline George from Bangalore, India. They lead the churches in uh, South Asia and India. There are 66 different churches. It's an amazing work, and we've got an amazing interview uh, up, up ahead. Dinesh and Caroline, thanks for joining me today. Hi, Rob. Thank, Thank you. It's so great to be able to talk to you, and I know we spent a little time uh, a couple years ago, and it was a it was a lifetime trip for Pam and myself. Thank you so much for that, and I was so excited to be able to um, spend some more time with you through the podcast. Now, you you guys have such a fascinating story. Um, can you tell me how you became Christians? Yeah, um, I became a disciple in 1989. And uh, actually, I was invited to church by the Bombay Mission team when they had come to Mumbai. Three different people invited me to church. And, uh, and I almost uh, made it to one of the Bible talks. Uh, but I got scared when I stood outside the uh, gate of the where they were having the Bible talk. And because my dad used to go there to have a good time in the evening, and I was a little scared. What if my dad saw me? It was a pub, and I was uh, probably 20 years old, and mm. I was a little scared to go in. So another time I gave them a wrong address. Uh, <laughs> so they got my contact, and uh, I'm sure they came to follow up on me, but I wasn't there. <laughs> wow. So long story short, um, uh, my father passes away in between and uh, that uh, brought a, a big uh, realization to me personally because as the eldest in the family suddenly the whole responsibility of the family came upon me and it was too much to and uh, and I started I started realizing the, uh, the, the reality of life mm. it is short my dad went uh, after money he made a lot of money, but he lost it all. Mm. So when he died, we just, uh, uh, we just, uh, he left a lot of debt uh, that we had to clear. Mm. So for next two years, I worked, I finished my graduation and uh, worked for two years teaching in a college. And those two years uh, was very hard. Trying to uh, support my mom and sister who never have worked before. And also trying to reflect on what I, what do I want to do in life. After two years, I got bored of teaching. So I said I need to go out of Mumbai. At that time, it is called Bombay. And decided to study uh, outside of Mumbai. So I landed up in Delhi to do my master's degree program. And believe it or not, the very first day I land in Delhi uh, to get admission to my master's degree program, I get invited by one of the brothers who come on a mission team three days before I landed wow. from Mumbai. And I get invited and uh, and I go to church. That is August 4th, 1989. I attend church on August 6th, 1989 and get baptized on August 20th, 1989. So, <laughs> so those are all uh, amazing memories. So I felt like God was after me. Mm. And uh, also, 
I was desperately needing to change because uh, prior to meeting, uh, coming to church, my life was a mess and a lot of sin. Um, I was involved in a lot of uh, sexual uh, sin, um, got involved in uh, homosexuality uh, at a very early age, being abused uh, from in my family. And uh, when I was an adult, I struggled with that. And so there were a lot of shame, a lot of guilt, a lot of fear because it was a secret that nobody knew. And uh, so when I came to church, when I saw them opening the scriptures and uh, study that they did, uh, the brothers did about sin, just uh, really got my attention. And, uh, and that was a turning point to confess and repent of my sin. Wow. And uh, was scared to get baptized because <laughs> I thought, well, how will I continue in this new life that God is giving me a new start? Wow. So that is my journey. That's amazing. To become so, a Christian. So you're from Bombay or Mumbai, and you left there to go to Delhi, but at the same time, there was a, a planting in, in Bombay, and they had sent a team right along to, to Delhi at the same time. So it, it, it's like God knew exactly. He was following you. He was chasing you down. <laughs> what, exactly. What an incredible story. How about you, Caroline? Well, I my story is a little different. So I come from a Catholic family, and my father was a staunch Catholic, and he had many priests and nuns in his family. So he was raised by the priest, given an education. And so my father grew up very loyal and faithful to the Catholic Church raised us all very religious and uh, went to church, did everything. Um, but, um, you know, uh, down the line, as I grew up, uh, I think I was seeking something more in life. I was like, okay, there must be something more than this. I was very curious, very interested. And uh, growing up, going to college, it took me down a completely different path that I was not used to. Uh, but... Uh, there came a point where um, I finished my education, moved to Delhi. I was free, independent, on my own, and had the freedom to live my life uh, the way I wanted to. I come from a very small town in the south of India, and so now I was in this big city, exposed to a lot of things. And um, I think um, uh, I would uh, I, I made a lot of choices because I felt like there was something I was searching, something I was looking for. And I felt like there must be something more in life than just the life that I was living. Mm. I didn't know what it was. But that seeking that something took me on, on all the wrong paths. And I made a lot of wrong choices. And I remember I used to lie in my hostel bed on my day off. And I, my life would just pass before my eyes. And I would mm. be just like, wow. You know, I, I'm like, I wish I had a chance to change all this. Mm. I wish I could start all over again. And I would have made different choices. I would have lived it differently. But then as a Catholic, I had no hope. Mm -hmm. I thought I live. I had one life. I messed it up royally. So I may as well go and sin all the way to hell. And then I would get so discouraged. And I would go and look for what I could do to keep myself happy. And that was the pattern of my life. And uh, there came a point where, you know, I had invested in relationships. That was something that I valued a lot. And... Uh, I think uh, the breaking point was that I, I had a fallout with all of my close friends 
and I was very down and out and I was like, okay, what more is there in life? You know, what is the meaning? What is the purpose of life? This is all it is. And I was very down that very week. I think God knew what I needed. He um, put somebody in my life who invited me to a Bible talk. Wow. And um, I was very skeptical about it in the beginning. I wasn't, I didn't know I was looking for God or for God to fill me, but I was looking for something meaningful. So the, but here's the thing, the first Bible talk, the midweek that I attended, I walk into the room and I, I was blown away. What blew me away was uh, the, I saw the warmth and the love of the friendships there. And it, you know, it was the picture I had in my head of what an ideal uh, what ideal relationships would look like, but I couldn't really trust it. So I was uh, uh, very drawn to that. And then, um, you know, I, they started following up on me, studying the Bible with me. And eventually what really got me was the fact that they were telling me that God was giving me a second chance, that mm. he was going to wipe my slate clean and allow me to start life all over again. Yeah. For me, that was like my dream come true. It was like God, uh, you know, he was there when I silently cried out in desperation and desired to start all over again, but didn't know how. It made me feel like God heard that prayer, heard that cry. It was not even a prayer and that he found his way of answering it. And for me, it was like, I can't believe it. This, you know, what I desired is happening. I'm getting a second chance. And for me, it was like no looking back after that. That's amazing. So this was October of uh, 1989. I was invited to church. December of 1989, I got baptized. And uh, after I got baptized, I felt like I have, I was about 25 years old that time. And I felt like I had seen the world, lived my life. There was nothing more for me to go back to. And I just wanted to just completely give my life to live for God mm. because I felt like I got something that I desired so deeply. He answered my prayer. Wow. And that was in Delhi. That was in Delhi. Okay, so... Yes, I was working there as a single. So amazingly enough, there was a an older brother named Dinesh who was there in the church with you, baptized a couple months. So uh, how did you guys get... How did you guys end up getting together? <laughs> yeah, that was interesting. <laughs> <laughs> um, when, um, you know, the, in the early days when the church was young, so everybody went on dates. Every Saturday, uh, the lead couple would uh, call us on dates. And uh, so the talk of the brother's flat was, who do you like? <laughs> you know, <laughs> and stuff like that. So it is to be, uh, and everybody will be liking somebody the other person likes. <laughs> uh, of course, right. <laughs> there were only like 25 people in the church at the time. <laughs> So it was hilarious. So Caroline walked into church, right? And uh, she took some time to get baptized. So I remember the whole church pastored for her. Mm. That included me. I also pastored for her. And, uh, and I had an eye on her, even as she was <laughs> studying the Bible. Uh, you know, I was attracted to her. And after she became a disciple, I confessed my attraction. And I got discipled <laughs> and saying, bro, she's just a young Christian and you're a very old Christian. I was just a few months old as a Christian. <laughs> and I said, yes, bro, I'm sorry. You know, I will, uh, I need to repent. 
which I did. And uh, a few months later, again, the, my disciple asked me, so who do you like? And again, mentioned Caroline's name. <laughs> it was not getting out of my mind. And she was in my heart and mind. So that was kind of the starting point. And they, you know, arranged a date uh, for us. And that was just the way it all started. Yeah. Okay. That's Now that's <laughs> yeah. a whole different discussion right there in terms of dating practices and, <laughs> and engagement in the Indian churches yes. and Indian culture, but I don't know if we'll have a chance to cover that. But you guys got married the next year in 89, 90? Actually, 91. 91, okay. We so, got married in uh, 91. We dated for more than a year Okay. before we got engaged, and 91 March, we were married. That's and uh, it was all very unusual, dating, uh, all of that was very unusual for our culture. Yeah. So it was very interesting. <laughs> very interesting. I'm sure your family was uh, disturbed about all of that. So. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. Now, l- let Our me... family was very upset. Oh, my gosh. If we have time, we'll come back to that discussion. Now, your yeah. churches, you, your churches that you're in charge of now have, have multiplied and grown steadily. I mean, uh, from that initial church in... Ba- I remember when the church in, in Bombay was sent out and... Then there was a church, I believe, in Delhi, and then was it Bangalore was the next church planting? Bangalore. Yeah. It, they, they've just grown steadily. Now you have 66 different churches. You've got over 6,000 disciples in a country of over a billion people. Can you can you just give us a brief overview of the development of those churches and the growth over time? Right. So the first planting was done by the Boston Church, and they sent the church to Mumbai, uh, I believe in 1987. The second planting was done by the London Church, and it was done uh, in Bangalore in 1988. So I think one of the uh, things that the, there was a vision by the missionaries who came from United States and from uh, United Kingdom that they want to expand and they want to see all the major cities being planted. And it was, it was something that was taught that we all need to be missionaries. And that is something that was uh, in all our heart. Christian wanted to go on a mission team. And so that uh, spirit uh, led us to plant many churches. So uh, starting from Jim and Donna Blau, uh, uh, who came on the mission team to Mumbai, and then there was Gaymo and Cherry Adame, and of course, Mark and Nadine Temple. And they were just such uh, strong, fired up young leaders who have great vision for our country. Mm-hmm. And so when we Indians saw that heart of uh, foreign missionaries willing to sacrifice, come on a one suitcase challenge, willing to sacrifice, willing to uh, get sick having malaria and being bitten by mosquitoes and uh, willing to travel on local trains, uh, high-risk uh, travel those and willing to, uh, you know, go through all that for our country. I think it really inspired a lot of us to get a, a desire to, you know, help out starting new churches. So steadily we kept planting churches. So even post-2003, we still kept planting churches because disciples had a heart to go to a hometown or go to a new city and be used by God. So that's how the church has started. And now we are 
6,920 disciples. Wow. Uh, waiting 7,000 soon and in five nations and, uh, and, and still growing. That's, that's amazing. What, what I find so fascinating is that um, you were the first convert there in, in Delhi, and, and yet now you're leading all of these churches. How did that happen? How did you become the leader of all the churches in, in India? I never thought I'll ever <laughs> be doing this. Uh, we just want to be good Christians and, and be forgiven of, forgiven of our sins. They were happy with that. <laughs> uh, but uh, I would say the leaders, uh, the moment they saw us, they saw that uh, there is uh, uh, potential uh, of uh, us serving God. So in my heart, I didn't, have a, I didn't know what full-time ministry was. Uh, because I thought everybody is a missionary because when I became a disciple, every member of the church were actually making disciples. They were all missionary members. So I thought that is what we are supposed to do. And so somebody asked me, do you want to be in the full-time ministry? I'm like, what is that? I thought we are all in the full-time ministry. <laughs> because we were baptized into the, in the mission team. We were on the mission team schedule. Uh, so we all, we did everything that the mission team did and we were very active in the way we lived our Christian life, right? right from the time we got baptized. So within six months after I got baptized, I was asked to join the staff meeting as a student intern. I still was studying. And I thought, wow, what a privilege. I get to be with all, you know, all the school guys, you know, came on a mission team. So I felt privileged. And then I finished my, uh, you know, master's degree program. And so I continued to serve in the ministry and Caroline joined too. And then we were the internship uh, and then we led our first Bible talk. Uh, then we led our first house church. Then uh, we got married. Then uh, the call was to go on a mission team. So we got married in 1990. Went on a mission team. Sorry, 1991, we got married. And then uh, 1992, went on a mission team. And um, that was down south, where we all from, Kerala. And um, so within... Ten months, uh, we were called to move to Bangalore, the largest church in India at the time, uh, with over 200 disciples. And uh, Germo and Terry Adame was leading this church, and they were moving back to the United States. So, so we, we felt we are called to respond to God mm -hmm. very quickly. Right. And we didn't know what we are getting into. But I, I would say I just obeyed. I just obeyed the call. Hmm. It was scary. Families are not happy. I don't know what is going to happen. But I felt God has called me. And God has done so much for me. I cannot deny his call. I got to respond to his call. Wow. That's... So that's what uh, happened. So in Bangalore, we were there for three years. The church grew from 200 to uh, close to 500. Then the Templars, Mark and Nadine, decided they, it's time for them to leave India and uh, let nationals re lead the work in India. So they called us and said, why don't you move into Delhi? And that was in 1996. So since then, we've been doing this job. <laughs> <laughs> oh, my gosh. Now, that's crazy. Now, okay, let's, let's go back and talk about a couple things. You talked about how you were converted into the mission team culture. What did, 
going back to your early days there in Delhi when you were baby Christians and the mission team was there, what what did an average day look like? Now, you mentioned this when, when I was there in India, what your schedule was like there in those very early days of evangelism. What did it take to get that church off the ground? Can you tell me what you were doing and how you're managing your schedule just really briefly? You know, back back there in, in, in Delhi. I was a student. Yeah. So I was a student and also trying to be an intern, a student intern. This is very challenging. So I would get up early morning, have a quiet time. And then it would be early morning. We would go to my class uh, in, my, in my university. And I would try to reach out to people in my, in my campus. And uh, that is something that I was trained. And uh, I was scared. Uh, but that is something that... Uh, the brothers encouraged me because I saw them do that and I thought I should do it <laughs> because they brought friends and I need to bring friends. And so it is a mutually inspiring uh, time. So I felt inspired by the mission team members and I felt like uh, I need to do the same. Wow. And then I would finish uh, college and then I would go finish my assignments, then over to the brother's flat. And uh, in the brother's flat, we would have a lot of fun. Uh, but we will bring visitors, we'll bring our friends. So we'll be playing table tennis with all the visitors. And then one by one, we'll pull the visitors to different rooms and we'll study the Bible. And uh, that's how the church grew through relationships, friendships, fun, and lots of evangelism. And when we had longer break, when uh, I would join the mission team, they would go early morning. They will leave by uh, eight o'clock. And they will hit the streets of Delhi. And Delhi is extreme weather. Hot is really hot. Cold is very cold. So I saw the brothers going day in and out, early morning, without a break. The whole day they'll be sharing their faith, meeting people, inviting people. Uh, and, uh, and they'll be exhausted. But, and then we'll, we'll write cards in the afternoons, you know, postcards. So because those days people did not have telephones. So you write postcards so people can uh, be followed up on. Wow. And then we'll go physically to places uh, uh, to follow up on people that places we never seen before. We never, we only, uh, we found out as we evangelized. And most of the time we would end up uh, in wrong, uh, wrong places because the people they gave, address they gave us wrong. Right. So, so the same, same medicine that I, <laughs> that I, I dished out as a visitor, I also had to face. Right. So that's the, that is how they evangelized. And uh, it was amazing to see the hard work and dedication right. of the early church. It's just amazing, you know, when you're telling me those stories and you were getting your master's completed and sharing your faith all day long. Really amazing how the intensity, the dedication of, of that. And it leads to another thing that, that, that makes me uh, I find very interesting is that you guys were so young when you went on your first mission team. I mean, you, you weren't older than like two years old as a Christian. And yet there you go back to Kerala to lead a church planning. Uh, you know, what I'm seeing now in the churches is a lot of times people are late twenties, thirties, been Christians a long time. They're still thinking about going on a mission team. Um, any thoughts on that? Like how, how can we restore that kind of, um, allowing younger people to take on more responsibility. Yeah, I think uh, 
uh, I must commend our early church leaders because they they had a vision for all the disciples. Yes, that's true. And uh, and when uh, the mission team members who came from Boston, London, they were all highly qualified. They were from Harvard and London School of Economics and uh, you know MIT, and uh, and so they were leading leading the way. So the young people inspired other young people to follow their footsteps. Mm -hmm. uh, and also the early leaders took a lot of risk by putting us in charge of churches uh, at a very young age. Right. We, we were just, when I look back, we were just three, four years old as Christians and we were already leading a large church. Right. right? And uh, so they, they, they believed in us. They trained us, walked with us and keep encouraging us through all ups and downs. We didn't know how to lead, how to serve. Uh, but I think uh, we got people walking with us uh, every step of the way. And right. I think for, uh, uh, I think I would say the new, uh, uh, in the present days, I think uh, as leaders, we need to have vision for young people yeah. and trust that they can lead. Mm -hmm. uh, God has put the Holy Spirit in them. And uh, if they're willing to serve God, train them, walk with them, and send them to lead churches. They yeah. may make big blunders. They may not know how to do things. They may make mistakes. That's how we learned. Right. That's how Carolyn and me learned to do what we're doing. Absolutely. Um, Go ahead, Caroline. And one of the things I think that really helped us, they sent us out. They believed in us and sent us out, instilled a lot of faith in us. But discipling was very tight. So even though we were in another city, we would uh, call every day back. Every evening, we would make a telephone call. And here's the thing. We didn't own a phone at that time. So we would go to a public telephone booth, and we had to stand in the queue, make a call, have a discipling time in that telephone booth with many people standing behind us waiting for their turn. But every single day, we were in touch. We would give a report of the day, what happened. And so that, that connection and the tight discipling really helped us. Uh, on a daily basis because we, we never felt like we were alone. Right. We were doing it on our own. Mm -hmm. We did you know, get a lot of encouragement, a lot of support, a lot of direction. And we were able to talk through every day what was going on. So that really helped us that's, a lot. That's amazing. And I, I think that, you know, for our churches to grow, it's going to have we're going to have to have younger people leading ministries and allow space for younger people to rise up. Um, and I th definitely think that's something that's very inspirational about, about your story. Now, the churches have grown. They've multiplied steadily. Ministry is really a team sport. I mean, you guys work together as a team. You're both extremely powerful and uh, strong individually and as a couple. How do you work together to, to lead all these churches? I mean, um, I'm going to put Caroline on the spot here, Dinesh. W what is it about her that allows her to... Uh, manage, you know, thousands and thousands of women. There must be something really special about her. Yeah. So I'll share for, for, for what she does. <laughs> yes, please do. <laughs> yeah. I think one of the, I mean, she's got amazing qualities. She's extremely disciplined, very organized. And I've never seen any, anybody as hardworking as her. Mm. Uh, she loves people. Uh, she cares about people's souls and their life. 
and uh, she will give her whole heart and uh, and she would compromise her own health she had many health challenges mm-hmm. over the years many surgeries but i never seen her give up on uh, serving god and uh, and i see the same spirit even now as we are getting older she's not she's not slowing down <laughs> and, and i want to slow down and she's like no honey you need to keep going <laughs> that's great that's fantastic you i mean caroline you just seem super super strong what's what's kept you motivated what's what's helped you over the over the years i think um the one thing that i keep my focus on is god and i've learned to fall in love with god through my journey as a disciple as a christian and i think over the years it's gotten so much better and just knowing god more personally more deeply uh understanding his love not only his love but what he has in store for me but it's been a journey because i actually am not a natural leader i am a very insecure person and uh, you know i am somebody who's so insecure uh, that i could never ever have dreamt of me being in this position and whatever i am today what i'm doing who i am it's all because i i believe that the impossible is possible with god yeah and he has taken me on this journey wow and i've been inspired by the life of many people in the bible and when i was a young christian david david was my favorite character and i thought if god can call david a man after his own heart why not me right <laughs> you know That's like right. I, i was a challenge i gave myself you know i want to have that heart i want to be that person and i strive for that because i have been in the world tasted the world seen everything the world has to offer there's nothing left there for me to go and enjoy i don't want i don't desire anything there right and so i am the kind of person that if i put my heart into something i want to put it 100% wow and so Uh, it's just been a beautiful journey it's not been easy it's been very challenging very tough at times there were times when i wanted to give up because i thought it's just humanly not possible for me to keep going mm. but i kept going back to the scriptures get kept going back to what god had to tell me and that is what motivated me and inspired me till date that's the only thing that motivates me wow That's great. That's fantastic. Now, your churches are still growing. I mean, they're growing steadily. They've just continued to ha- have a steady multiplication. Can you give me three things that have enabled that growth? Can you just tell me what what do you feel like is is making the difference to to keep the churches growing, not just in the early days, but even now? Uh one of the things uh, I really believe that has helped our churches is that planting new churches regularly. uh something it does something to all our faith new church new missions new ministries uh just uh, inspires us that uh, it's like having a new baby right <laughs> it gives hope for life so new churches always tend to have new baptisms and it just energizes rest of the ministries is mm-hmm. number call i think that yeah. is one of the first things i would give uh, give uh, credit to secondly i would say committed leaders who care about church growth um and that is something that i have uh, seen over the years and also raising up leaders committed leaders and who are committed to not only church growth but also raising new leaders mm. 
And thirdly, I would be saying we are very grateful for the consistent financial support from our families of churches in US and United Kingdom. Uh, we have been very blessed by just the sacrifices uh, our uh, uh, first world churches have made for mission work in South Asia. I think that has kept the missionaries focused on the mission and not worry about uh, you know money or finances. So that's been three big contributing factors, right. I would say. Well, I think that's that's powerful. Planting new churches, having a committed leadership and raising up new leaders, and then getting the financial support that, that you need. And yeah. um, that that's something that I, I feel so strongly about, that we've got to continue to plant new churches, getting churches started. It is inspiring. It, it's powerful. When you hear stories of, of small small groups growing, it's it lifts the spirits of everybody. Now, in, in getting those churches out there, there's, there's been some intense persecution. And I've, I've heard stories. Uh, I remember uh, talking to a person named Shaijus in, in Bangalore. Yes. And can you share with me like one or two challenges that you face in terms of persecution? I will share one. When we are just newly, uh, went on a new mission team, our first mission team experience, uh, I remember... Uh, we had no idea about the culture, even though we are from that, we grew up part of our life there, but we didn't know how close the culture was and how suspicious they were of anybody who was different. And we as a mission team went there and we were vandalizing like crazy. We were blitzing all over the city and, uh, and the main street of the city uh, we were there 24/7, literally. <laughs> so, and and they they would know us as we are preaching and teaching. Um, so um, we started baptizing people, and the first uh, persecution I faced was one of the sister got baptized. The family is really upset, and uh, and they wanted to take her take her away from the church, and uh, they came with a few of their relatives, and they hired uh, thugs, apparently, so they can threaten us and take her away. But she didn't want to go. She didn't want to go. She's like, please, I want to be in the church. So we decided to send her to another city. And uh, so, uh, without letting anybody know, she moved to another city. The family was mad. And they started calling every day, morning, evening, we'll kill you. We'll kill your wife. We'll kill your church. We'll kill such so threat. And I've never met these people. I never met them. So only I'm hearing these voices on the phone. I remember I would be scared to go out on the street. And anybody looked at me and I would think they could be the one. <laughs> uh, oh so it was scary. <laughs> and then, and then uh, it led to us being accused of kidnapping their daughter. Oh, gosh. So they went to the police commissioner, the chief of police of the city, and they put a complaint against me saying, I have kidnapped their daughter. And so growing up as a kid, I was always scared of police. <laughs> and here I was summoned to meet the chief of police of the city. And I was scared. My wife was scared. I was pregnant at the time with oh. my first child. 
and I told her, if I don't come back, please send somebody to <laughs> check where I am. <laughs> and I remember going alone, praying, and meeting the chief of police. But waiting outside was the most scariest moment because it was, uh, they were bringing in prisoners uh, into, the, uh, into the police uh, chamber and they were all in their underwear. Oh my God. They had stripped them of all the clothes and I was imagining that I would be next. <laughs> and I was scared. Then I went into the police commissioner. I'm meeting him for the first time. And he gave me this look. And I thought, it's all over. I'll be behind bars. So that was scary. And, uh, uh, and then we talked and he says, he said, you know, he warned me. If you don't give me information about the girl in two days time, you, we are going to arrest you. So in the meantime, the sister wrote to her family that I'm, I, I want to be a disciple. And she wrote a letter to us and I am, I have moved out of city on my own wish. So please do not disturb these people. I want to follow Christ. But I remember those few days, you know, it lasted more than 10 days. Look, it felt like it was forever. Wow. And I never been so scared in my life. <laughs> oh my gosh. That was a scary experience. Oh gosh. That's amazing. That's, it's, I know that there's a lot of stories like that, but that that would just be absolutely terrifying. Just the thought of you there in your underwear, that, 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 <laughs> the picture in my mind, I can't not think about that right now. <laughs> you know, one, one thing that really surprised me about our visit to India is the diversity in appearance, the languages, um, you know, I was, I was reading, it's like 22 different uh, languages that are, are recognized and you've got main languages and then kind of semi-main languages. And even when I was speaking, you have multiple translations, not just one translation. And I, I remember going to one church service and I, I saw this guy and uh, this was in Delhi and he, he, I, I looked at him, I go, oh, they've got an American in, our, in, a, in the church there in Delhi. And I remember talking uh, to um, the church leader, and I said, hey, who's that American guy? And he goes, we don't have any American guys in the church. And I said, well, you know, that, that guy looks like he's from Ohio or something. And he goes, oh, you mean, you know, so-and-so. And this guy looked just straight out like a straight white guy and um, yeah. a member of the church there. And you've, you've got people that, are, that look very Chinese. You've got people that look very Caucasian. And then you've got, you know, just... It's, it's, it's hard to describe. It's like a world within a country. How, how do you manage to lead such a variety of different types of people, different types of people in languages? It, it just must be such a challenge. Yes. Um, we all have a mother tongue. And, uh, of course, English is the common business language. So many people who lived in Big cities, they, many of them would speak English, they, especially if they had a college education. But otherwise, uh, we got to learn the language of the city. And in some places, it's more than one language. So, so we encourage all mission team members, missionaries, church leaders to learn, to learn to 
respect the language, learn to understand the language and speak the language if you can, and also understand the culture because every part of India, the culture is different. What annoys somebody in the North may be some pleasant thing in the South. So you got to learn how to connect with people. And we learned that without the language, we can't connect with people. If we don't connect people, we can't get them to know Jesus. Yeah. So this uh, this is something that uh, we train every uh, person who wants to be in the mission field to learn to love people. If you learn to love people, they got to learn to love the language as well, right? <laughs> and the culture. Right. Well, that's that's good. It's just so so fascinating to me. Just didn't didn't realize it. I I, I thought okay, they speak Hindi and English, and that's it, and then. I was so, so, so wrong. Now, not, not many people are able to start leading a small group then lead a church, then lead a larger church, and then lead a family of churches. That must have taken a lot of major change, adaptation, um, repentance, growth. H- how did you keep growing to take on all the new challenges? Uh, you know, I, I think about a person that, like, leads a startup company, you know, maybe like a tech startup. And oftentimes that person will do great in a very small situation and get his company up and running. But then when it gets big, he'll have to turn it over to somebody else who's much, much more skilled in terms of a larger organization. It's, it's amazing to me that you guys have been able to adapt. And and so how, tell me a little bit about how you've been able to stay so adaptable, so flexible spiritually to keep growing over the past 30 plus years? Yeah, I would say it has been a very challenging journey. Not easy. It's not been an easy journey because we made a lot of mistakes, uh, you know, in how we handle certain situations and how we handle people sometimes. And we had to constantly learn to be humble and uh, take responsibility for our mistakes and the wrongs. We got to keep sharing our struggles of marriage, of family, and our own spiritual struggles. Mm. So that, uh, because that's the only way uh, I've learned to keep growing because I'm not, I'm not putting myself as a strong person because we have so many things that we continue continuously needed to change. Mm-hmm. This has been a very challenging journey, but I, what I would say is when I look back, um, uh, as I was sharing before, I have to learn to lead by faith. Uh, and I believe experience follows that. So if, because you don't have the experience, because everything you're doing is new. Yeah. So that's what I felt as a Christian. You, when you become a Christian, it's new. Yeah. Then you become an intern is new. You go on a mission team is new. You lead a church is new. So everything is new. Getting married. So, and it's, it's not like many people have gone ahead of us in some of the, some of the situations. Right. But we try to learn from others. Hey, how did you do it? How did you grow your church from 100 to 200? How, did you, how do you manage raising up leaders and you're constantly uh, learning from other brothers and sisters around the world? from their experience right. and, and grabbing hold of their faith. But it's been challenging. Mm-hmm. And But one thing that Carol and me have always decided, wherever the wherever God calls us to do something, obey God. Mm-hmm. 
Right. Don't resist this call. Right. Uh, it may be challenging. You don't feel uh, equipped to do it. You feel scared. You want to quit. You want to run away and hide, and you know somebody else do the job. Uh, but when I when I come back to scriptures, I'm always called to obey. Yeah. Trust and obey. To trust and obey, just like the old song. Yes. Amen. <laughs> Were you going to say something? I think yes. I think we also had a good team of people that we work together, that we have, that uh, has been in leadership together for quite a few years. And so as a team, we were able to tackle the task. Mm -hmm. And uh, otherwise, it is very, very challenging and not easy. So, uh, and uh, the beautiful thing about that team was that we all grew up together in the same singles household. We all went on to become uh, missionaries, church leaders, and uh, still some of the main, um, part of the main leadership team of India even now. And so we go way back, you know, having grown up in the same household together, single household. So that has been an amazing journey and it's had its own challenges as well. Right. And many times Dinesh and I have, have been called to face our worst fears. And I think when we face one, we, we get faith for the next and the next. And that has really helped us. And I think uh, uh, we just want to serve God. And that was the spirit all along. Mm. And so we just went where we were called and we did what we did. We didn't have time to think. We didn't have time to stop and ask, okay, do we want to do this? Or not? Okay, let's go. Let's go. Let's do this. And I look back and I think, uh, was it challenging? Absolutely. Was it easy? Not at all. But, you know, I look back and I think I, will never, I would never trade that life for anything else because it helped me become who I am. And it shaped me, molded me through all that, refined me. And if not for those things, I wouldn't have learned the things that I've learned. I wouldn't have become the person that I've become today. And I, I wouldn't have the wisdom to pass on to others. So challenging as it is, I'm grateful for it. Right. Yeah, I was so impressed by all the different leaders and, and how connected they were, how they all knew each other, their backgrounds. And uh, from David and Monica to, is it Prakash and, and Joyce up in Delhi? And then and Jerry and Rosa, amazing people. Um, and then people in the church there in Bangalore, people like Roger and, and Shaiju, some amazing um, unity. Has it been tough to keep the unity um, in such a large country? I mean, it, it must've been really challenging at times. Yeah, unity is uh, not not easy. Uh, it takes uh, for us to work through all our uh, differences. Uh, each of us are strong leaders, have our own opinions, ideas, and uh, and to work as a team, we have to be open, share our struggles, um, share our differences. Um, and still learn to work together and love each other and forgive each other. So I would say that over the years, we have had our challenges in all our relationships, but I would say those those has called us higher to be more spiritual. Mm -hmm. And when we actually work through those differences, we become closer and stronger together. Yeah. Uh, but that is, it's, it's never, uh, it, is, it is an ongoing uh, challenge. Uh, for all of us to keep the unity right, and keep that closeness and that uh, relationships going. Hmm. Yeah. 
Well, let's let's talk a little bit about you know your your daily daily schedule. How do you keep from getting overwhelmed when you've got so many different people that are depending on you and and they're they're turning towards you for the most challenging situations? <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> <laughs> I must confess, I do feel overwhelmed most of the time. <laughs> <laughs> that and, is true. <laughs> and but there are times when it is just unbearable, right? I feel. I cannot handle it. Like just like, been just like Paul shares, he says that I, daily I feel the pressure of all the churches. You must yeah. really relate to that passage. Yes. Yeah. And I think uh, uh, I think for me, where I go is to find strength uh, at the cross. Mm-hmm. When I feel totally overwhelmed and I feel I can't do it, it's too painful. I can't bear these accusations. I can't bear this pressure, the expectations people have on me as a leader and how I should be and how I should not be. And the various ways people try to pull me, you should do this bro and you should do that also bro. And you should, you know, and there's so much, everybody has things to demand out of you. And also when you have your own personal spiritual struggles and marriage challenges, to challenges <laughs> and our family parenting. So yes, that's why I said, I feel overwhelmed most of the time. <laughs> But I, I, I've learned from my young days as a Christian to go to the cross when I'm stressed, hurt, burdened, mm-hmm. accused. I asked a simple question to Jesus. I asked Jesus, how did you handle all that on the cross? I can't do it. How did you do it? Mm-hmm. How, did, how did you bear all that burden? It's impossible. I can't do what you're doing. Please help me. Because I cannot handle what I'm facing right now. And I always found somewhere I feel strengthened when I go. Because if Jesus did it, I'm sure I can do a little bit of what he did. So that's where I go to try to find my peace when I'm faced with overwhelming situations. Right. How about you, Caroline? Well, I think... um... Like Dinesh said, I agree. That's one place where we get our strength. We talk a lot. We thrash things out. We talk through things. And uh, we are there to listen, to help, and understand. Uh, Plus, we've always had people in our life discipling us. And so we've always had uh, that go-to person where we can, you know, get a different perspective, talk through, or be heard, be understood. So all those have been very beneficial in our journey. And I think uh, we've uh, always consistently had somebody disciple us and have that person in our life, and that's hugely helped us. Yeah. And, um, you know, there are times I've blown it so many times, uh, getting so overwhelmed and uh, uh, not uh, being able to handle it and sometimes lashing out and kicking it out and, you know, going back and having to take responsibility and but picking ourselves up, picking myself up again and keep going. Because I know that, uh, you know, there is someone helping me on the journey and I can do this. It's not all uh, going to be, you know, so hopeless. Right. So that helps me a lot. Right. It's powerful, the importance of discipling and having people in your life. And and obviously, I'm sure you disciple a lot of people. And how do you 
keep keep raising up new people. I mean, that's that's the key. How do you how do you make the time to pour yourself into younger people? That has been uh, my passion for for years, and uh, so we are very grateful for the opportunity to work with young people. And uh, so we have this uh, school of mission um, uh, that has been since 2012. It's been eight years. And the foot of that uh, work has been uh, amazingly um, a big blessing for Indian churches. We have 21 of them who graduated. Many came to the school of mission. 21 of them are employed, uh, serving as church leaders, campus leaders uh, in full-time ministry in all over South Asia. Nepal, in Bangladesh, in Sri Lanka, and India. That's been good. Presently, we have 15 of them who are currently enrolled and uh, others also joining. All of them are on a mission team. Two mission teams we send out. And so the Kala and me, the, we get excited about seeing young people. Mm-hmm. And they're so hungry to right. learn. Right. They, they want to hear our stories. Uh, they, they, our stories are stupid and uh, you know crazy and, and they're like you know and they find it funny and they can't relate and but uh, they want to hear our stories here are our older brothers who are also in the mission who are also school of mission trainers they want to learn they want to have do things that we have done mm-hmm. and it's incredible this uh, the new um, school of mission trainees who have been on the mission teams both the mission teams have been, it is doubled in less than a year. Wow. And uh, Okay, so and, can uh, you say again, the school itself has doubled in less than a year or? No, the school of mission, we send them on a mission team to two churches, to plant two churches. Okay. Those churches are doubled in less than a year. Oh my gosh, that's, ex- that's exciting. Because we felt uh, that's the best training we can give anybody who's learning to do, learning to do ministry put them in the deep end, right? Send them on a mission team. Right. And, uh, and so that's how I, we learned, uh, how to be a church leader because we don't know. Right. Classes are good. They're helpful and they teach us uh, valuable things, but uh, this is really where our hearts get exposed and we, we learned how to love people. Right. Okay. Well, this is, let's just camp out on this question a little bit. So we've got people that are listening that they want to grow. They're inspired as they listen to your story and they're like, man, I want to do that. I want to do missionary work. I want to, I want to grow. And, and they might, they might be in the full-time ministry or more likely they're not. They, they just want to serve somehow, whether they're bivocational, they're working part-time. What advice would you give them? What, what would you tell them if, if, you, if a person's listening and they're like, man, I want to grow, how can I, what can I do to take that next step? First of all, I think uh, you need you need a right discipler. <laughs> Go seek discipling. You know, you need to find somebody who can train you. You know, every church has them, and maybe, you know, and you are in in a in a small group somewhere, and but you really want to learn and grow. Initiate with leaders mm. who have who are doing the job, who's done it before. Mm-hmm. and spend time with them yeah. uh, hang out with them express your desire to uh, grow and that's something that uh, what we are able to provide for people who come to us for training mm-hmm. we walk with them right we 
share with them our stories mm. you know and they get the best discipling from from us because we made so many mistakes as christians we can share all our mistakes right that's right <laughs> and say don't do that bro <laughs> so and uh, and and they also get inspired uh, because they see what god has done to our life and they want to see god doing similar things in their life wow that's 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 blow away now you know one of the things that i see in the states is it's become so expensive to send off a mission planting and and yet it seems like you're you're able to do it on very little how do you do it i mean what what how are you getting those churches out there with limited resources you've got challenges financially obviously how how do you do it in in spite of the fact that it's it's tough financially yes i think uh we try to we like to send more mission teams but financially we we feel restricted so what we try to do is uh, uh, we target the place uh, that we like to go on a mission send out a mission team and usually there are people who are willing to go there because they are from that that's their native district and so they offer themselves we want to go we try to fund each of the mission team members with a small amount of money uh, to go on the mission field for 6 months and we tell them after 6 months can you still be in the mission field but can you find a job and that's how we you know we try to um, form a mission team so the two mission teams we send out this year that's how we worked on it and of course the school of mission was funded so the school of mission was a major part of the mission team so they uh, they could help the mission teams right but the rest of the mission team members are like the way we said we we fund them for a few months then they find jobs right okay so what i'm hearing you say is that you find people that are already invested or interested in a particular city or town or village or wherever they're going and so they feel like hey these are my people these are people i care about i i maybe it's their family and then you give some support not only to to the leaders but also to the to the team members not a lot but a little bit just to keep them keep them going and then they've got to get jobs and then at that point you've got let's say 10 or 20 people and you've got a small church going it's it's up and running yes yeah that, that's right okay So now do you have church leaders who are not being paid that they're self-supporting or or is every all 66 churches yes. they have a full-time couple leading it? Yeah, there are many uh, church leaders, ministry leaders who are self-supporting. I see. Uh they have a full-time job or a business uh and they lead a church as well. And uh, and they really some of the churches uh that they're leading are one of the fastest growing churches in our region and amazing they have a heart to serve and uh, they don't want to be funded by the by the church and they're very sacred sometimes we uh, support them for coming to a retreat or they travel or communication bills but most of it they just bear it on their own wow okay now let let's just talk about the next 10 years you guys are in your 50s now and you probably will want to retire here in another 10 years um what are your plans and dreams for the continent in the next 10 years what do you want to see happen right 
So first of all, um, we have set up a leadership uh, uh, system in such a way that every three years we can find new people to serve in the uh, regional roles that they can become uh, regional leaders so that one leader doesn't have to feel the burden for the rest of their life. Uh, because some of our, uh, some sometimes the way Caroline may have led is not sustainable. Mm-hmm. Um, because it can, because we got a lot of encouragement and support, we have we have survived. But not all leaders uh, can do those things. Maybe they can, but we feel like there should be a sense of there is a vision you can do. So every three years, we are considering a change of uh, leadership. Uh, some people can continue, but others can step up I see. Um, and uh, and and lead. Uh, so the vision we have is we we want to replace us in every sense from leading Bangalore Church or leading a region or leading India. So we already done certain changes, but we need to make the next ten years. We have a lot more of the next generation leaders rising up to do what we did. Uh, many years ago. Right. That's smart. Shows a lot of vision and, and humility as well to just think, okay, I'm going to turn this over to to younger people and at the same time, still take care and make sure that there's unity in the churches. Now, let me just, um, just ask this final question here. What advice would you give to yourself? Uh, someone like yourself, let's say younger, um, man or woman who really wants to live a life of meaning and significance and adventure, totally sold out for God. What, what advice would you give them if you were just talking to them today? Let's start with Caroline. All right. Um, I think if someone has the heart to want to serve God and um, his people, I think, uh, it, I think that's a noble thing and it's a great thing. But uh, it is never going to be easy. But, and it takes 100% commitment. So if somebody wants to step out into that adventure, they have to be prepared. They have to be prepared for the best and the worst. Mm-hmm. But uh, at the same time, there is nothing more fulfilling than when you really serve God, connect people to God, and see their lives change right before your eyes. See the word of God come alive. There's nothing more fulfilling than that. And mm. that probably might be the only reward you get right. because it is never going to be easy. Mm. Leadership is a challenging task. So if someone wants to step out on that adventure, that would also mean taking on leadership. So, uh, you know, helping people, connecting people to God is one part of it. But leading the role of leadership is a very tough thing to do. Yeah. And it is not easy. And it. If you if you want to do it, you have to find your anchor in God. Mm. Without that, you're not going to be able to make it. Right. And that's what it's going to take. So that would be my advice for whoever wants to step out into this big adventure. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> my advice is be strong on the basics. Mm. Love God. Confess your sins. Take a lot of advice. Be humble. Mm. Repent of your sins. And keep checking your heart and your motives. Mm. Why are you doing this? 
who are you doing it for mm. do you really love people and if you love people and you love god then god is going to use you mm. in a powerful way it's just the basics yeah that's great <laughs> that's great now i really appreciate your time thank you so much i know you guys are so busy let's say someone would wants to support you let's say uh, disciples or churches and how would they get a hold of you how would they you know maybe someone wants to go do a one-year challenge or help out or something like that yeah. um how would they contact you of course they can reach me by my email and <laughs> uh anyhow if 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 you have a vision to come and serve here we are here to embrace you and uh, and uh, and walk with you mm-hmm. and if you're coming to bangalore you will join the school of mission and uh, and you'll have you'll be part of that experience mm. uh, to learn and grow with them and how long you're able to be in this country or any part of our world whether it's nepal bangladesh sri lanka uh, we appreciate many people have come before and we will warmly embrace you that's great so we'll we'll go ahead and leave the contact information in the notes for the podcast uh thanks for your time any final words any final words of wisdom that you'd like to leave with people yeah I'll, my simple thing is keep it simple mm-hmm. love god yeah. love people right that's it <laughs> Yeah. Caroline. I would agree to that. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Keep it simple. Keep it keep it focused on God. That's great. You mm-hmm. again, thank you. You guys are such an inspiration and the work that you're doing is amazing. It's come at such a high price, a high cost. Uh your personal sacrifice is very inspiring, but I know it's going to be rewarded by God. You must feel a deep sense of satisfaction when you look and you visit different churches all over India and you think I I played a part in this. I I made a difference here. I used my life to serve God and uh it's very inspiring to me and I just want to let you know I'm praying for you and wish you guys you. all the best and look forward to our paths crossing in the future. And I want to thank you today for listening to the Rob Skinner podcast. My goal is to inspire you to make this life count, to live a no regrets life and to multiply disciples, leaders and churches. If you enjoyed the pro- program, I'd like to ask you to just subscribe to it, to share it with your friends, let people know about it. Have a great day and make this life count.